So yeah, you can have that one for free. You, the Ghostbusters of uh, nice. We're ready to believe you. Welcome to the XR for Business podcast with your host Alan Smithson. Today's guest is Alice Panazio, the technology writer for Inside VR and AR. Alice is a technology writer, producer, consultant with a particular interest in the immersive space. Over the past 15 years, she's combined a career in freelance journalism, contributing to outlets such as Wired, Quartz, Fast Company, Playboy, Upload VR, Ars Technica, and many others. She's advised a broad range of companies from startups to major corporations on their communications and digital strategy. She's currently the editor-in-chief of Tech Trends, a news and opinion website she founded in 2016, and the curator of the daily Inside VR and AR newsletter, which I personally read every single day. You can connect with Alice on LinkedIn, and you can also reach her at Twitter on Alice Bonazio, A-L-I-C-E. B-O-N-A-S-I-O. And if you want to subscribe to Inside VR, it's inside.com slash VRAR. Alice, welcome to the show. Hello. Very nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Alan. It's my absolute pleasure. I read your content daily, so it's it's a real pleasure for me to have you on the show. Every day I get this Inside VR, you know, and I skim through it and I look for the things that are business related. And the bottom, it says curated by Alice. And I was like, I got to have her on the show. So thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. You are my source for news. <laughs> That's very nice to know. Yes, and uh, if uh, the more the more subscribers we get, the the more I get to to do what I what I love, which is trolling through all of those interesting bits of news. So yeah, definitely get everyone to subscribe. That'll be great. Well, I know one way to get more subscribers. We should write a piece about this amazing new podcast called the XR for Business podcast. Ah, yes, yes. That's a, that sounds, sounds like a great plug. Yeah, yeah. We're pros here. We're pros. So I want to I want to dive in here because there's so much to get in. We're, we've got an hour. Let's let's really make the best of it. Let's start with one or two things that you've seen in the last little bit that just blew your mind because I, I think you get to see everything from a 10,000 foot view, what is personally blown your mind in, in XR for business? Um, I think one of the, the, the recent examples, and you were talking about it uh, when you were saying about doing your news roundup in the, in the last week was really that Microsoft demo at Inspire that really did blow my mind. And it's one of those things where you see several elements just come together into something that just makes such sense. And it was one of those eureka moments. Together with mapping, I think that translation is just such a obvious use case um, for augmented, for mixed reality. But it is also one of the most difficult ones to get right because you just need a lot of elements to be at the optimum stage and to come together for the experience to work and the experience either really works well or doesn't. So what they did was um, at uh, Microsoft Inspire, uh, which is a partner conference for for Microsoft, Julia White, who's uh, an executive for Azure, came on stage and they did this demo where she conjured up a little hologram at first and then the hologram became a full-size replica doppelganger of of herself uh, on stage and she does not speak Japanese Julia White but her doppelganger delivered the second part of the keynote in fluent Japanese that was so amazing 
you know, watching her stand on stage in a HoloLens, watching her own avatar give another presentation or the same presentation on stage in Japanese. I know it's not it's not often that I, I I will forgive executives for looking very smug, but she did, and I was like, well, actually, you kind of deserve that. You're pulling yeah. up a demo there. Uh, you have the right to have that little smile on your face and go, "This is really so cool." I don't think it was smug so much as she was just really giddy. It looked like she was like, "Yay!" <laughs> she did. The thing is, is that it's everything that you have it as an out there conception of what the technology could be it's a kind of star trekky thing science fiction and at the same time we are at the stage where it is all possible and no it isn't a consumer product just yet but all the elements are there you're getting to the point where the machine translation is getting good enough where voice recognition is good enough as well as then all of the mixed reality um, elements that allow you to mimic the the facial expressions and the way that you're to avoid that whole uncanny valley thing you you do need like if you're having an avatar uh, or especially a holographic one you do need that to to match what does your face look like when you mouth those words is not something that you might necessarily think you know but you feel it so that you subconsciously know when it looks wrong. So there's a, there's so many like different elements that make it so complex to get this right and for that all to come together in a demo so that you could just go, wow, that's the future. It's just arrived at your doorstep. That was amazing. We always talk about the future and the future is now. That's the crazy thing. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to have simultaneous translation for avatars in five years, 10 years. It happened last week. Absolutely. And it's one of those things that a lot of futurists who sounded ambitious years ago are now revising their predictions to say, well, um, actually, it's going to happen much sooner than we thought. So it is like Moore's law is it's very true still. And everything is getting better a lot quicker than you expect and a lot cheaper. I mean, if you look at the latest batch of VR headsets, the capabilities of something like the Oculus Quest and what you get for that price bracket. It's just unbelievable just how far it's gone because I still look back to case studies from places like the Virtual Human Interaction Lab at Stanford. Mm -hmm. And you look at some of those old videos now, what, what are old, but you know, you're talking about less than a decade and the VR headsets they were using literally cost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they did not do what the Quest does. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's pretty impressive. I actually, in 2015, I said, okay, it's a 10-year roadmap, 2025. We're going to start seeing the real uplift of this. So I took a really long approach, but I'm actually starting to shrink my timelines as well because I didn't think we'd ever see consumer-based augmented reality glasses until at least 2025, like not even close. And the the NREAL glasses that appeared at CES this year were so good. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm the same. And I always thought um, 
for a while it just really looked like such a one horse race and then I think kudos goes to Microsoft for getting in early with the HoloLens and just putting all the resources into making even the first HoloLens such a solid product so that you got all those enterprise case studies and all that but for a while there really looked like they and Magic Leap and we weren't really sure what Magic Leap looked like until very recently um were the only players in that market and now you've got this expanding you know all these new companies coming into the sort of smart glasses space and how do we integrate it with mobile and 5g and then that's again that's just going to create an ecosystem and i don't think anything will happen without an ecosystem i think with vr you've now got that larger ecosystem with the headsets and now that's going to also happen in ar you mentioned ecosystem and this is not a, well, I guess it's going to be a shameless plug, but we started XR Ignite to become a central community ecosystem where startups, studios, and developers could come together, discuss their challenges, work together to help them, help each other, but also then connect them to corporate clients because on the corporate side, they want to innovate and they want to be first to, to have these technologies. They want to know what's happening. They want access to the new technologies but they don't know which ones to pick. They don't, they have no idea. And so on the startup side, you've got these amazing products and platforms and services, and they don't know how to do business with corporate. So we're kind of taking this central role where we, we are going to become the connector of the industry uh, only in B2B. I mean, we're, we're really kind of focused on that B2B market because we saw a gap a few years ago, there was a company called Upload and they had Upload VR. They had a, a beautiful central hub in San Francisco and LA, and they were the hub of virtual reality. And they had gaming companies and they had uh, enterprise companies, everybody under one roof. And it kind of imploded. But the idea of having that central hub really resonated with me because somebody's got to help these people from all over the world standardize their offerings. Because if you look at VR as a whole or AR, You've got such a wide range of quality and such a wide range of different types of VR. So you've got 360 video on one end, you've got AR apps on your phone on the other end, you've got HoloLens in the middle, you have all of these different things and all of them serve a purpose to different companies at different times. So we wanted to be able to map that out and be the central hub to help companies make better buying decisions. And that's why we started this podcast as well. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense because even f for somebody who's been immersed in that space for what feels like a very long time now, it still gets baffling. I mean, there's still something new that comes along every day and often it will disrupt any conceptions that you already have of that market. So to really know what technology decisions you need to make so that you can reach the audience in the way that you want to and just execute on your goals, then it's very complicated. So you do need that knowledge and you need to have a sort of who you're going to call kind of. <laughs> so, Amazing. Um, so yeah, you can have that one for free. You're the Ghostbusters of... Uh, nice. Of, of, uh, one, of the, <laughs> one of the articles you, you published or one of the quick snippets that you published was a couple of days ago. It was by the numbers, how AR increases productivity and you were talking about uh, Roy DeBoff, head of content innovations and strategy with Accenture Interactive. Mm -hmm. And Rory's actually been a guest on this show. So I, I know about the stuff they're working on. Mm -hmm. But something that was amazing was two points you touched on. The adoption of augmented reality boosts productivity by 21% on average. Yeah. 
And then this figure rises even further to an average of 35% in sectors such as healthcare and social services. Companies are already seeing massive benefits of this technology. What are some of the ones that you've seen that have the most impactful ROIs? As you alluded to, I think healthcare is one of those amazing use cases because it's such a complex landscape. And from training professionals to uh, patients themselves uh, making the right choices to equipment configuration to drugs to every everything else in that landscape is about massive amounts of information and where accuracy literally means life or death this is why we tend to pay healthcare professionals, you know, higher salaries. It, it takes so many years to train to a level where you're confident using that information and it takes so much practice. So where the immersive uh, technologies really come into their own are those two things. They provide real-time, accurate, as-you-needed information, hands-free, right in front of you. That's so powerful. That's literally a superpower. And then at the same time, uh, for the things that you have to practice, I mean, you're performing, for example, as a surgeon or as a nurse, um, procedures, medical procedures, those are things that you need to learn on a muscle memory level and you need to learn by experiencing. And so far, the only ways that you could really do that were by simulating those experiences in the real world. I mean, um, for doctors, they, they would interact with actors, they would use cadavers, all of those things up until the point where they might get the chance to observe surgery and then to maybe do a little bit. But in a class of however many students, you clock up the hours of all of those practices together. And it's still very little. That's why it takes multiple years for any kind of surgeon to get up to a certain level where we feel comfortable with them cutting us open. Um, so, so do, you, do you think we can shorten the, the time? We can uh, accelerate that dramatically. And, and that's what's needed because there's such a shortage of um, healthcare professionals. That's one of the crises that this technology addresses already. It's It's the shortage of professionals because you have people without access to the facilities in those medical schools, you can use simulation. You're getting to the point where you have haptics, so you can actually feel and see what that experience is like. I'm not saying that you wouldn't then go on to have the real world practice, but by the time you get to that stage, you've already had so much more of that, that it makes a huge difference, I think, not only to the numbers of people that will have access to that knowledge, but also to the quality of the professional that you will get at the end of it. Absolutely. We're seeing it in enterprise a lot as well. And um, one of the guests that was on the show is uh, Dr. Walter Greenleaf. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's been a pioneer in this technology in the medical field. And it's not just practicing surgery. That's one thing. But it's also visualizing uh, MRI data or CT scans or x-rays, but it's also being able to put it on patients and prepare them for surgery and, and walk them through what to expect so that it calms their nerves. There's so many ways that this technology can be used for physicians, for nurses, for visualization, for patients, for drug discovery, for pharmaceutical reps. Is there any business or entity or enterprise that you can think of that probably won't use this technology? Um, I honestly can't, because what it comes down to, what, what you said, is, is, is very true. 
visualization is the key here. And humans are programmed to really learn through experiencing and seeing things for themselves. So what you get with a lot of the way that we traditionally learn and consume information is you have this translation into words, into graphs. You're constantly overloading your brain with the demand of translating that in real time and trying to absorb that knowledge. So it's what's called a cognitive load. And what these immersive technologies can do for you immediately is to reduce the cognitive load. You are seeing things in a way that already makes sense to your brain. So you're not spending that extra RAM as such <laughs> in, in trying to, to do that process. You, you have spare brain capacity to actually pay attention, to be in the moment into the experience of what you're doing. So you will remember that procedure better. You will remember that information better because you're not trying to visualize it. The, the visual is already in front of you. So that's that's one very simple thing. And it goes across the board. I mean, any kind of information that you can pretty much think of will be better presented and absorbed in that way. It's not sector specific. It is more fundamental to the way that we as, as humans learn. And I think that that's the fundamental shift that you're having. We've learned in, in one way for centuries now, and now we're, we can have this opportunity to learn in a completely different way that's exponentially more efficient. So one of the articles that you linked to and you wrote about was training for empathy is challenging, but possible. And VR is the optimum medium for facilitating this at scale. And it was talking uh, about a gentleman uh, named Dr. Todd Maddox, who I interviewed this morning on my podcast. I do, I do all of my interviews on Mondays, and Todd was the first interview this morning. Talk about something uh, you know, amazing where you can create empathy in somebody in a way that's never been done. You can literally be in someone else's shoes, literally. You, know, you look down, you see somebody else's shoes. And he made the comment that if I'm a white, middle-aged male in the tech industry, I can put on VR and become a 20-year-old female black lesbian and feel what it's like to have those stereotypes in an experience. And it's not going to replace a lifetime of experiences, but at least you can start to feel what it's like to have people look at you differently and, and these things. And why this is even still a problem in 2019 is beyond me. Let's just be clear. We are all people. We all live on this planet. We're all people. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you're going. We're all in this world. And if we start to think as a global entity, instead of individuals and nation states and this sort of thing, then that's when we'll start to realize that we need to all work together to protect this planet together. And sorry, and I, and I think VR can be that catalyst to make us think that way. I totally agree. And it's something that's talked about a lot uh, to the point where it's almost become a cliche to call VR the empathy machine because that's something that very early on brilliant people like Chris Milk have talked about and given examples of. People like Kathy Hackle speak of it a lot in how she came to VR as, you know, one of her first experiences was when she used to work in a news organization and she basically became calloused towards just you, you build up these barriers um, when you just watch so much horror that she became to the point where she wouldn't connect with those people and those stories anymore until the point where she um, 
finally experienced something in VR, which was award-winning experience by The Guardian, which puts you into a cell, a solitary confinement cell. And she just came away from it. All her barriers suddenly came down and she just realised just how powerful being immersed in an experience firsthand can be for telling those important stories and actually getting through to people. When you talk about uh, immersive technologies as being a bit of you know, a fad or whatever, actually look at the people who have stuck around as content makers. And you, you do have people like Noni de la Pena, everyone like that have been around the immersive space, creating content and most of them not making any kind of decent money out of it for a very long time. So it's like they, they stick around because there is this amazing potential and the technology does work so I think that the people who would dismiss it do need to also listen to the people who are persistent ones in that space and as I said you do come across a lot of the same names because they've they've been around now for a very respectable length of time too so that's great but I think on the empathy front there a couple of uh, interesting points that you raised were how it makes you experience things from a minority point of view or in case like being a woman is not necessarily being a minority we're kind of 50% of the planet but um, (laughs) I'd say the main problem with some of the what we're saying today is that this idea is sold that there isn't a problem as well so that it's like what what are you moaning about Um, you have equality and this I think that it's so difficult from a position of privilege to judge that to actually understand how the little things add up on a day-to-day basis to the point where equality isn't a reality for those people it is your reality so to get them to experience that different reality it's not that they're ill-intentioned it's not that is that literally they do not understand how for an average middle-aged white man to understand what it's like to be a woman, much less a, a person of colour and a woman, as a white woman, I don't pretend to know what difficulties a, a black man would have or uh, somebody confined to a wheelchair. I would have to experience that to really be aware. I, I'm aware, though, uh, I think that you should just allow for the fact that those things do exist. So I know that it's more difficult for it, but I don't know how. <laughs> so that experience should be mandatory somehow. I, I really think that as we get to the point where the technology is more accessible, that kind of education and training is something that's fundamentally going to hopefully change things for the better because it does immediately connect you with that other perspective. And you do get people walking around and going, actually, I get it now. I get a, a little bit of, of what you go through, just whether it's looks, whether it's just the attitude. It's, it's something that you have to feel and you cannot be told about it. it it's just one of those things. And then the, the other thing that you, you alluded to was how we're all responsible for the planet. And interestingly, some of the most interesting empathy-based projects that I've come across elicit empathy not towards another person but towards the environment itself so again you go back to the great work of the virtual human interaction lab at stanford and they've done several environmentally based projects where 
they literally get to change people's attitude through a very short spell of VR exposure towards using less resources, being more mindful of, of the impact that your actions have, and then changing those actions. Again, it's it's a weapon in an arsenal that I don't think we can afford not to use. You can feel what it's like to be a tree. You can feel what it's like to be a coral reef. And there were some bizarre ones where I think they put you in the in the hoofs of a cow and you know anything anything you can you can feel things from a different perspective and that i think for most people unless you you're really not wired in the way that most humans are it cannot help but affect you i mean the studies that show that even people guilty of horrendous like domestic abuse um it actually got through to those severe cases a lot more than any other method um had managed to and it's the kind of thing that kind of gives you hope absolutely there's so many different ways that the technology can be used for empathy and movement but when it comes down to businesses investing in this technology it has to make sense from a, an economic standpoint you're seeing businesses starting to invest in this technology now uh, more than ever and they're investing in the first thing that I'm seeing is training. And then the second thing is remote assistance. One of the biggest existential risks we have uh, as humanity is the fact that as we enter into exponential growth, our education systems are ill prepared to train us for jobs that don't exist yet. This is a great point, but just that one of what, what you said about um, businesses needing to, to justify it, just going back very briefly to the point about uh, training for, for empathy as well. I think that uh, businesses cannot afford not to be conscious of that need to train for what's called soft skills, how you interact with people. I think that it's not just about, there's an element, of course, that businesses need to be compliant and cover themselves on that. But I think on a higher level there, the opportunity is huge because I've worked with so many teams and always the best results are achieved by diverse teams that feel comfortable challenging each other, but in a climate of mutual respect. That's something that you actively have to foster. It's something that you do, to a certain extent, have to train for. Because if you just hire a bunch of people and hope for the best, it just doesn't always turn out in the way that you hope. Having those tools and training for empathy and seeing what things sound like, like when you say something to your colleague, what does that actually come across as? Because your idea of what it comes across as is can be vastly different from how it's perceived. So that kind of, um, I, I worked with one company which um, is um, based in London and they're called somewhere else. And they did this thing called body swap. And that's exactly what it is. You, you, I was actually going to bring it up. <laughs> that's awesome. There you go. Yeah. So you get through and you record your reactions to, to this, uh, this employee who's um, having difficulties and it, it's your voices, your, your audio that's going into this avatar. And then when you're finished, you get to be that employee who's receiving the message and you get to see what you sound like, what your message comes across as. So that's, Again, it's, it's just really simple mechanics, but it really does work because you're immersed in that environment. It really does work to drive home 
the impact that you're having and how your delivery of the message as much as the message itself works and all of that. So I think that that's the kind of thing that businesses are now able to plug into so easily. We mentioned how the Oculus Quest is so much cheaper and that that's, I'm not actually um, plugging just the Oculus because you, you have got other alternatives that, that are, you know, coming through and are, are as good. So you've got a lot of choice of hardware and now platforms where you can make your own personalized content like this. And so companies can afford within a business plan to allocate those resources and is often going to be cheaper than simulations or trainings that they might be engaging with already, uh, but ineffectively. I think as the tools become more prevalent and as the, the, the tools are coming online to make it easier, but also I think just the idea of a virtual and augmented reality is becoming more mainstream and in the VC community and investment community, and even in, in within the VR and AR community, people are kind of burnt out a little bit. You, you mentioned earlier about how there's people that are dedicating their lives and they've been pushing, 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 and you know they're not making a lot of money. There comes a point where that burns people out. And so we've just come out of that whole, uh, whatever, trough of disillusionment or whatever you want to call it. But uh, what are you seeing as far as you're writing different news stories every day? There's something new every day that companies are doing. Are you seeing this trend upward now? Yes, I, I think for for the corporate and industry side of things, I don't think there's any fear of it fizzling out because as you alluded to, I think once once a company has an experience of deploying those technologies, the ROIs are there, they are dramatic and a lot of it is actually really low-hanging fruit. I mean, these are processes that um, that you can easily port into immersive technologies and you can just enhance them. Uh, and straight away, they're that much more effective. Uh, people really take to them and they're becoming more affordable. So I really don't think that that's the growth on the on the corporate side will slow down anytime soon. So that that's one side of it. I think that what was pushed quite hard at first and was responsible for some of the hype that then became a little bit of the the trough of disillusionment was the gaming side, which um, is slowly but steadily getting, advancing, I would say. But it's just a lot more challenging because for the past decades, we have got really seriously good at making awesome video games. And that industry is multi-billion dollar is it's at the top of its game so when somebody who's used to console gaming sits down to a vr experience their expectations are sky high um so when you start get still getting the problems of motion sickness and everything else i, I know that for myself i've played resident evil for many years and i was so excited to to try it out in vr i i, I couldn't last it was just too intensive it was it just wasn't there yet um but you can see the potential um, for a lot of, of, of these things. And I think you do need to give it the space. So you have the, the gaming side on, on that and the, the corporate side too. And then you have this space in the middle, which is like everyday applications for consumers. And that's the market that I think that isn't quite developed yet, but is potentially very big. And what I think you will get is people who are introduced 
uh, to VR, either through a gaming experience. This could be location-based gaming as well. There's a few big players on, on location-based arcades, things like The Void um, and and so forth as well. They're, they're very interesting. Um, so if you're introduced through either an entertainment experience or at work um, through your training, um, that's going to be a lot more natural, especially as as headsets are used become more user friendly and uh, and cheaper. That would be much more natural for you to consider that as a purchase and as something that you use routinely at home because you're more familiar with it. Much like um, you know your first smartphone might have been a work blackberry you know you you go from that to to having uh you know your your first iphone i think that that bridging element can be there as well so i don't think there is a, a disillusionment apart from people who really naively just thought it would explode from one minute to the next and had sky high expectations 100 billion dollars by 2019 but yeah you know you, you get like those dr evil type uh, predictions then it's like one trillion dollars and <laughs> well you know what's interesting i i use a figure i use the fact that virtual augmented mixed reality xr technologies will create a trillion dollars in value by 2025 yeah I, I think that that's that's realistic because you're talking about it's not about sales. That's where I, I think like Microsoft went right. It's like they didn't go out to sell a bunch of Hololenses. I mean, if that if that was their measure of success, it would have been the biggest flop ever. It was about the technology, and it was about what they were building around the technology. This whole new space for use of that within the enterprise, and they nailed that. Oh, and I think the, the first iteration was really about finding what are the use cases? How are people using this? Does it work for, uh, for factories? Oh, yeah, it does. Okay, what, what in factories is the highest return on investment? Oh, okay, being able to upskill people quickly. Okay, next. <laughs> so they did a fantastic job at engaging with the right partners and bringing a device that was rock solid. I mean, we've had a HoloLens 1 for years now, and it's never had any, any problems. They made a rock solid device and they looked for real ROI. And I think that was the key with it. No, I, I agree. I, I think that's they can then afford to just be patient because that's the market that it's is going to stay in, is going to grow, and then eventually the device will become more affordable. It will become something consumers want to have in their in their homes. It will become comfortable to wear uh, for longer periods of time. So then at that point, then it will also become an everyday entertainment device. I have no doubt of it, but it doesn't need to be anytime soon necessarily. And I think that rushing it, that's the danger. If you think that you have to rush something that's consumer ready when you're nowhere near, then somebody's going to spend $3,000 on something that they're not happy with and there's no content for. Since you, you led into this, I, I have to ask you, what are your thoughts on the rumors that Apple is killing their AR device? Um, again, I think that they probably came, if anything, if I had to read Apple's mind, uh, <laughs> would be that they came to a similar conclusion to what Microsoft's been doing all along in that it's not worth rushing it. And then everyone got really excited when they got wind of it, because obviously the Oh, the, here comes the game changer. And the worst possible thing they could do at this point is to bring something half-baked 
to market. And that's what Tim Cook has said is like, we don't care about being the first, we have to be the best. When Apple brings something to the market, it needs to kill it. It needs to be VAR glasses that make you look cool. They're light, everything works, and they have some content for it. Yeah, that's the key. I don't see that happening by 2020. No, definitely not. They would bury it, and the, but they're just burying it deeply within the company and then sending everyone to a deeper basement to work on it twice as hard <laughs> until they do have it. And then it might be a few years into the future, but when they bring it, they have to be confident that it's something that's market ready. And all of the allowances, that this is why Microsoft was able to bring the HoloLens to market, but to the corporate market is because in a factory environment, you are used to bulky equipment, limitations that the HoloLens, even at prototype stage, surpassed it by a factor of 10 or more. So that's fine. That's allowances. The consumer market is not that forgiving. So Apple is playing a whole different ballgame there. So we're coming to the end of this conversation because we could talk about this stuff forever. And I would really encourage anybody to sign up for your newsletter, inside.com slash VRAR. I get all this news coming at you. It's like drinking through a fire hose. So Alice, you are the news source. It's amazing. What problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. Pick one problem. I think... Uh... Well, I suppose going back to my background in that um, probably communication. I think you can trace a lot of what's wrong with the world to bad communication, misunderstandings and not being able to get what somebody else is saying to you. And I think that as much as social media has seems to have made communication easier, it actually just numbed us and blinded us to a lot of what's important where it comes to communication. So I'm hopeful that through immersive technologies, we can reconnect with the more human side of communications and actually fix some of those issues. And then the reason I picked that is because then it goes on to everything. So hopefully we can then start to sort out all of the many problems that we have with our society, with our politics, with our environment, with our economy and everything else. So hopefully that would be a catalyst to borrow a phrase from Silicon Valley, make, make the world a better place. Well, I can think of nothing else to add. Alice, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, well, it's been a pleasure and uh, thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute 
to learn and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're on the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game, and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com, and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission, to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.